this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. and the glitter of a bustling young movie town at the height of its golden age, the Hollywood Tower Hotel was a star in its own right, a beacon for the show business elite. Now, something is about to happen that will change all that. If you recognize that opening narration, then you've probably at some point been a guest at the Hollywood Tower Hotel. Now there are and there have been several versions of this particular hotel, but the original opened on July 22nd, 1994 at Disney's MGM Studios in Florida. In the late 80s and early 90s, the Disney Imagineers were looking for new and exciting themed rides for their Florida park. And what better property is there to excite the imagination of park visitors than a visit to the dimension of imagination itself? And so, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror was born. So picture, if you will, a walk through the lobby of an ornate 1930s hotel, and when you enter the elevator, you are transported to the fifth dimension itself, where you're welcomed by none other than Rod Serling. After Mr. Serling tells you the history of this very unique place, then the attraction earns its name, the Tower of Terror when the elevator car is continually raised and dropped at great speeds with the helpless guests still inside. If you've ridden the Tower of Terror, then it's an experience that you will never forget. But if we step out of the fiction for a moment, just how could Rod Serling welcome you to this attraction in 1994? Well, when Disney decided to license the Twilight Zone name from CBS, they felt that if they were to bring people into the fifth dimension, then they had to include Rod Serling, or it just wouldn't be good enough. So the visual aspect of this was done by taking Rod Serling footage from the opening of the Twilight Zone episode, It's a Good Life. But as this ride was a new experience, they needed new audio too. So auditions were held for voice actors to provide the opener narration for the ride, a process 
that also included consultation with carol sailing and the actor who won the part was so successful that ever since they have been the go-to person when an authentic rod sailing portrayal is required a portrayal that doesn't rely on parody or exaggeration but just simply sounds like rod sailing and when the 2019 twilight zone revival wanted to honor rod sailing with a cameo in the episodes blairy man and eight it was this actor who they called so tonight i hope you'll join me to check in to the hollywood tower hotel because the man behind the reception desk is mark silverman so first of all thanks for taking the time mark i appreciate it man it's a, it's quite an honor for me oh really oh god thank you well it's an honor to be here i've been looking you up online and and i think you and i were into a lot of the same things when we were kids you know things like godzilla planet of the apes you know and we're obviously big twilight zone fans yeah. so I, i'd just like to hear you know some of the kind of things you were into that got you onto the path that you're on now i you know i used to watch so much godzilla Mm -hmm. that I could talk like I was dubbed. Tell us, doctor, is your gargantua alive now? <laughs> I, I, I just, <laughs> I memorized all these movies as a kid. Mm -hmm. Well, I love Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I loved them. I saw them in the theater. Did you ever go to an Apathon? I did not, know. I did not. Did you ever see the third one, Escape from the Planet of the Apes? Yeah, yeah. That movie traumatized me my sister and I went with our father and we were crying for like two weeks afterwards. It was <laughs> really devastating, the yeah. end of that movie. You know, my dad was a movie producer. So we went, we were allowed to go to Century City mm -hmm. where the fight between the cops and the apes took place and conquest. Mm. And I, as a kid, I got to stand there and watch that scene being filmed. I mean, it was like a fantasy. Wow. A lot of about five gorillas in, in red jumpsuits surrounded me with their clubs. And that was one of the greatest moments of my life. And then one of those masks, my father brought one home. Mm. And so as a kid in the early 70s on Halloween, I would walk around with this Planet of the Ape mask and people would invite me into their houses and take pictures and give me extra candy. <laughs> oh, it was incredible. One of my favorite movies as a kid was Crawl. And I know that your dad produced that, didn't he? Yeah. Did you ever go to set on that? Yes. I, when I was 17, I got to hang out on the sets and watch the pre-production. Mm -hmm. and, and the sets were enormous. And I got to be in the soundstage with an incredibly talented animator named Stephen Archer. Mm. And I watched him animate the crystal spider. And how anybody does that i still can't figure out the, the amount of patience that took mm -hmm. and the movie comes out and it flopped at the box office and then all these years later it has this incredible following mm. i think when i was a kid you know all the all the cool stuff was from america and it was nice to see a movie with all these british people in it you know what i mean so it was it was pretty cool for us right it was Liam Neeson's second movie, I think. That's right. That's right. I mean, so you, you obviously grew up with all this stuff and you, you shared a picture online of you as a 16 year old kid at Disney 
recording all the voices on the rides and stuff like that. So, yeah. so you were pretty locked into the kind of voice acting side of things pretty early, right? Yeah, I, I was just, I can't even describe how obsessed I was with Disneyland. Mm. And, you know, you got to understand, like everybody before social media, you didn't know there were other people as weird and crazy as you were about this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would go into Disneyland with a little tape recorder, like about this big, you know, and I would just record all the rides and I would come, come home and practice all the voices, no matter what it was. Welcome to Disneyland. For centuries, man had but his own two eyes to explore the wonders of his world. Remain seated, please. Whatever the sound was, I had it. Mm -hmm. And I had these tapes still. And then it was beyond my wildest imagination to then become a voice of a ride. Because mm -hmm. then I brought my tape recorder and I was, I was recording my own voice. It was crazy. <laughs> and it was a ride based on my favorite show of all time. Sometimes I think it didn't really happen. It's it's just too perfect. So in the meantime, though, between those times, you actually became a, a voice actor. Yes, I became a voice actor doing cartoons and whatnot. And I started, I, re, I was a good mimic. Mm -hmm. So I would revoice a lot of people. If an actor couldn't get to their session to dub, mm -hmm. they would look for someone that could sound like them. And that would be me. And I, and I grew up wanting to sound like things on television. Mm -hmm. Like my first impression was, would you believe I'm Maxwell Smart, Agent 86 of Control? <laughs> Maxwell Smart. I think when I was 13, I, I talked more like Maxwell Smart than my own voice. Mm. So I had a knack for sounding like people. So when the audition came up for the Tower of Terror ride, I was able to do that. So was Rod already part of your repertoire? Had you been doing Rod for a while or was it like, I've got to do Rod? Not really, but my father talked like this and I talked like this. So when I had the natural kind of Rod Serling way about me, that when I knew I had to sound like that, it wasn't much of a stretch for me, mm -hmm. but I really practiced it when the audition came up. And I went in and auditioned the first time and so many of these jobs, you come in and you do the audition and you never hear about it again because mm -hmm. the competition is so tough. And I did the audition and then I never thought about it. And two weeks later, the woman that I auditioned for, this agent, left a message on my machine saying, they really thought you were terrific and they want to see you at Disney for a second audition. And of course, that just lit me up. I was so excited. Mm -hmm. And then I really started practicing. I bought the Mark Zikri book. Mm -hmm. And at that time, Twilight Zone was on to, at midnight. So I would look up what episode it was going to be. And then I would, I would read it with him. I would read the book with Rod. I really started practicing. And there was a few more auditions. And then they told me I got it. Did you know what the thing was going to be? What the experience that they were creating was going to be? Or were you just like, well, I'm auditioning for Rod. I'll just, you know, do my thing and see what happens. Well, there were a few sketches and things, but nothing that elaborate. But I knew it was a haunted hotel mm -hmm. and a haunted elevator that drops. And that's really all I knew. But the more I read the script and all, I would visualize these things. So I had a pretty good idea. But when I actually got to the attraction, 
anything in my head wasn't even close to what I saw. I mean, this mm -hmm. thing, as you know, is so enormous mm -hmm. that nothing told me made me even dream that it was going to look like that. Because I had no idea when you got into, I mean, I really, it was like an emotional moment for me. I, I couldn't believe how stunning this entire thing is. There's a beautiful little detail that you posted on your Twitter back in June. And you, you posted a page from the script and it says, a warm welcome back to those of you who made it and a word of warning, something you won't find in any guidebook. And, and you added, and a friendly word of warning. So, so even at that stage, you, you were kind of getting instinct of what sailing would and wouldn't say, right? Yeah, right. I said that to them and then they, they, we, we wrote it in in pencil and it sounded so much better. I was really excited about that. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's my favorite part of the narration. I, I was really happy that that happened. I've always kind of said, you know, everyone does a rod sailing impression, but very few people do a good rod sailing impression. If, if, you, if you deconstruct, you know, your sailing, what, what are the component parts that really make it work? Well, to do a really great impression or sound alike, Mm -hmm. You don't want to sound like you're doing an impression, which is weird because you are doing an impression. Yeah. But a lot of when I was a kid, you'd see a comedian. I'm Rod Serling from the Twilight. Like they would put it on so much. You've entered the Twilight. Zone. And I knew they didn't want that. And I didn't like that either. So you have to pretend like you're pouring a glass of water out of a vase, out of a pitcher. And it should come out so smooth and not rehearsed sounding. Mm -hmm. So that was what they liked in me. And that's what I wanted to get across. So instead of forcing it, it would just be a strange, angry little man who never got up a break. Now he has everything he's ever wanted. And I'll have to live with it for eternity in the twilight zone. Yeah. So I felt really good about it. I felt... By the time I did the job, I actually had memorized like 30 of the ending monologues. Mm -hmm. And so I felt really good about it. So when they told me I got it, it was an incredible moment for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I do the voice now better than I did it then. It was almost 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, that's the thing, sitting here almost 30 years later, and whenever I see you online talking about it, you always come at it with the same enthusiasm and you, you say you love to talk about the Tower of Terror. So what, what does it mean to you, Mark? Do you get Jeopardy out there? We know of it. We know of it. The Tower of Terror was the final Jeopardy question on Friday night. And I, I'm sitting there watching going, wow, that, that's about as good as it gets, let me tell you. <laughs> but um, it, it is a huge, it still is incredibly exciting for me. Mm -hmm. because it's my favorite show and it's Disneyland, you know, Walt Disney World. My, like, it's like my two favorite things as a kid turned into this reality when I grew up. Mm -hmm. And I love that people get on that ride and for a few minutes or so, it takes them away from the problems of the real world. All that corny stuff is true. I watch people walk out laughing and all this that I get. So it's really a great feeling. Yeah. It's really the only place that you can go. And when that elevator goes forward and those stars surround you, you know, it, it's just mind blowing, isn't it? Yes. And they 
for 13 years, the ride was out in California mm. without that part. Really? It wasn't, it wasn't the same experience at all. You've done this ride and, you know, you've been the voice of rod sailing for years now. So when the makers of the new Twilight Zone came to you and said, this is what we're going to do in Blairy Man, what were your thoughts at that point? Because I guess you had to take a bit of a leap of faith here because who knows how that's going to turn out. Yeah, right. Well, actually, I was on Facebook and the message came in from the casting people said, we're looking for you. So mm. I thought, oh, wow, that's pretty much how it works in L.A. now. They find you on Facebook. <laughs> so when they told when they told me about the job and that I was going to work with Jordan Peele, who I really liked already from Get Out, mm -hmm. it was a fascinating and interesting, fun thing to get involved with. Um, so they brought me down just to see if I could do it on the dubbing stage. And once they liked what I did, then they brought me back to do the actual job. And it's, it was a weird feeling because, you know, bringing somebody back, it's going to be a little controversial, you know, but we're at, but I remember when it was first on, <laughs> I watched it on my bed and I was really nervous but I liked the way it came out, mm -hmm. but always with yourself, you're a little critical and all that. So I'm kind of watching, look, feeling nervous, but I thought it was a really fun episode. Yeah. And social media is like, it's amazing we've gotten to a point where you can work on something and then sit there and, re and instantly 500 comments from total strangers. And like 20 years ago, it was maybe you'd read one or two reviews in a newspaper, a magazine, and that would be it. Mm -hmm. Not all of a sudden thousands of strangers just right in front of you. And you don't want to read them because you feel like someone's going to say something. Yeah. But, and it really, you know, most of the, most of the comments were pretty good. And so I felt pretty good about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a really interesting idea. I wish the show was still on. Yeah, yeah. I think what I like about it is that the original Twilight Zone happened and they kind of set up the framework for it, but we kind of filled in the blanks as to what is the Twilight Zone, you know? But like the Tower of Terror, Blairy Man, it just pushes us that little bit further into the Twilight Zone, doesn't it? Right. And it doesn't give us too much, but it just gives us that little bit more of a glimpse than we got maybe back in the day. So that's what I really liked about it. Right. And don't you love that part in the Twilight Zone and that Tower of Terror where you're in the library and when you drop and you see all those weird artifacts and you can see if you recognize things from different episodes, mm -hmm. the slot machine or the dummy and all that. That's, that's my favorite part. Just that immersion in it. That's wonderful. And then you came back for the second season, didn't you, in that episode eight? Yes. That was great. I had to do, uh, a, there was a documentary on in the background about squids. Mm -hmm. And I really liked doing that because Rod Serling had narrated a lot of these Jacques Cousteau uh, documentaries. So that was fun. And I loved the way that came out because it really sounded like an old documentary. Yeah. That was, I was really very pleased with that. So was that from an old documentary and you reread it or was that completely new dialogue that was written for that? Yes, it was from a, an old documentary that Rod had narrated. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess they didn't want they didn't want the music in the background that was on in the documentary. They wanted the music from the episode. Mm-hmm. So they wanted a clean track. And then that's why I was brought in for that. It, it was a genius way of having a Rod cameo, I think. Really, really clever way to do it. Yeah, it was. Well, it, so that was something that real Twilight Zone fans would really like. I While I was doing it, I thought, this is a really neat idea. Mm-hmm. So I was mm-hmm. really happy with that. So, I mean, you said you were sad to see it go, and I, I was too. So I, I take it you generally enjoyed the show? Yes. I didn't love all the episodes, mm-hmm. but I, I liked a lot of them. And I loved the, um, I liked that outer, spe- the astronaut episode I thought was really good. Oh, yeah. That was one of the best. Um, yeah. I liked it. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's, I like the original Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Till this day, I'll see an episode that I don't even remember watching as a kid. And then, and it's like, you're just watching it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And still the greatness of that show just never goes away. And also I'm curious, one of the most fascinating things about loving Twilight Zone mm-hmm. is when you're a kid and you're loving Twilight Zone, there's always a few episodes maybe you think are a little talky and boring and then you get older and you realize those are the best episodes. And it happened to me with two episodes that I never really liked as a kid. Mm-hmm. And now when they're on, and when I when I watch them, I cannot believe how much I love them. And it's a shadow play is one of them. Yes. Where Dennis Dennis Weaver has the same dream. Mm-hmm. I never got what why that was a big deal. And then I'm like captivated by it now. And the other one is the Robert Redford episode. Nothing in the dark. I never understood what the big deal was. And now I watch it and it's like the best written 25 minutes of television since they invented the TV set, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the look at death in that episode is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It gives you some kind of hope that maybe it's like that. Pure poetry. I love it. And and I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think when, when I was a kid, I was watching it just to have my mind blown by the twists. But then you get older and it's just a completely different experience. Don't you don't you think Rod Serling, if you heard that, that, that probably would be so moving to him mm-hmm. that you could grow up from like eight years old to 60 and still it doesn't get old. It's just great still. Absolutely. I You know, the, the hour episodes never got enough attention and some of those are the best some of the best episodes yeah on Thursday we leave for home I think uh, stands up as some of the best Twilight Zone there is I absolutely agree with you there's some wonderful stuff I think so too that's mm-hmm. that's my favorite of the hour episodes yeah yeah it's it's so it's so you feel so bad for this guy at the end and it's interesting that because there's talk about going to other planets now and stuff, but they got there and they didn't, they hated it, you know, and they're mm-hmm. stuck there and finally they could get off. And what an interesting idea that was. Huh? Also the Jack Klugman episode, the, the hour one. Death ship. Uh-huh. And the whole episode, yeah, they don't know if they think they, they're dead, but Klugman, Jack Klugman keeps coming up. Wait a minute, we're not dead. If the sun didn't was to the left one and we went around, don't you understand? We're still here. And he and he you keep having this hope that he's right. Mm-hmm. 
And then he, it never works. Then he comes up with another thing and another thing. And it's just so sad by the end. You just feel it's it's such a gut-wrenching episode. Do you think then, Mark, now that the Jordan Peele one's ended, do you think they should carry on in any way? Or do you think maybe we should just, you know, be happy with what we have? Well, if somebody had an incredible idea, I would be interested. But even if they don't, having all the original episodes is such a prize, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just, I have um, I have the DVDs and I have Paramount Plus, and just to sit there and watch them, nothing's better than watching that on TV, you know? So I would be fine if they didn't do anything, but if they did something, I would certainly be interested, you know? You know what I think they should do? You know, things like Batman the Animated Series, you know, these wonderfully stylized kind of animations that kids like, but adults like them as well. I think you could do something with the Twilight Zone with that, with a Mark Silverman opening narration and closing narration. I did think of that also. So maybe someone else is thinking of that, because you're right. That could be really fascinating. Nobody's done that yet. Uh huh. Just nice little moral stories. You know, the whole family can kind of get into the right and wrongs of those. I think that'd be pretty great. Well, what what is your favorite half hour episode? I'm always a big sucker for a stop at Willoughby, and and I think it's for the same reason that you said is that when I was a kid, I would probably not have seen the point of that episode. But the older you get in the rush, rush world, you know, push, push business. Um, It starts to become a bit more relevant and you're like, oh my goodness, am I in the same situation as him? But I I think that's a great one, a really good one. It's sort of like he's getting out of Disneyland and that's the way I feel there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My favorite episode, I think if I had to pick one, I love Stopover at a Quiet Town. The two Uh people that wake up and they don't know where they are they come outside and they hear a kid laughing oh god the torment of those two poor people and then the payoff is so great they get on this train and they're so relieved this nightmare is over and they're joking about the guy's boss and the 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 wife is like doing a little impression of the guy's boss what the boss is gonna say and they're having a hell of a time and she looks out the window and the same Centerville sign comes in and just they they just drop in horror. Mm-hmm. That to me is the best. I just love it. Mark, how, how's the past couple of years been for you with, you know, COVID and stuff like that? Has it stopped you working much or have you been doing all right? It's weird, but during when I did the last Twilight Zone job, that you know, eight, mm-hmm. I had to go into the studio all alone and there was plastic bags covering the microphone and the earphones. And yeah, it was weird. Mm-hmm. So things have slowed down. Actually, I did a, you, did you see that thing I put on YouTube about if 2020 was a twilight zone? I did. <laughs> yeah, I was very happy with that. An ordinary day in March, late Saturday afternoon. And then the monster came. A monster in the form of a virus. And the frightened people began to buy everything in sight and greed took over. But it isn't really the toilet paper or hand sanitizer that people are in desperate need of the most. It is for that simple feeling of just feeling normal again. To walk into a grocery store and see people treating each other with dignity. 
For civilization to survive, the human race must remain civilized. Tonight's very small exercise in logic from the Twilight Zone. I felt great about that. So that's one of my favorite things. And I just put it together. And my nephew edited it and I felt great about it. Mm-hmm. And it really does feel, because it's felt like a Twilight Zone. I, You would never believe who could have ever predicted how bizarre life has become. Nobody, maybe Rod could have. And, and don't you wonder what he would have thought? My God. I think, you know, these past few years especially we've really missed his wisdom you know and his clarity of thought because you would just listen to what he said and it would just make complete sense in a way that no one else could really articulate oh man do you ever watch just his interviews on youtube yeah 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 i don't it's like you would think he's just talking in a conversation and it's so it's almost like you would think like the greatest poet would write things and it's just like spewing out of them, like regular conversation. I said, nobody puts words together like that. And just the sound of his voice, it's just incredible watching him. Where do you watch Twilight Zone? Online? Well, this is the thing in England. It hasn't been on TV since I was a kid. So I, I've got the Blu-rays, thankfully. You know, what I miss having the DVDs, I like not knowing what episode it's going to be. I think Mm. that's kind of neat when it just comes on. That's one thing you don't get if you already know what DVDs you're putting in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But so glad that we could still watch them. Mark, you know, I've often said when the original Twilight Zone ended, there was this question mark over whether it would come back or not. And the final episode, The Bewitching Pool, you know, it didn't really send this, the show out on its strongest note, but when I saw Rod Sailing at the end of Blairy Man, it wasn't so much seeing him that had the emotional effect on me. It was actually hearing him and knowing uh, that through you, Rod Sailing got his one last closing narration and it was a good one. And that was the thing that choked me up really. So I just want to say thank you, Mark, for, you know, the enthusiasm and the dignity that you bring to your portrayal of Rod Sailing and keeping them alive in a way for us. So thank you so much. Oh, that was great. That's That really was very wonderful to hear. Thank you for telling me that. I'm so glad. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. I think one of the many things that I was delighted by when I was talking to Mark is that this is not just a job to him. You know, he's done a lot of voice work, but I think you can tell that he thinks this one is special. The fact that it's his voice on the ride is special to him as well. And he is a genuine Twilight Zone fan through and through. He's not just paying lip service to it. As you heard, he can rattle off episode names and talk about specific performances like the best of us. So thanks again to Mark for making one of my Twilight Zone dreams come true and coming on to the Twilight Zone podcast. So the next episode of The Twilight Zone on the show is going to be a big one and it's going to require a very special episode of The Twilight Zone podcast to cover it. And and as you know, I like to get the audience involved. So if you want to get your voice onto the show to speak about this very special episode, then send me a clip of about five minutes or less to tom at thetwilightzonepodcast.com. And also over in the After Hours Club on Patreon, There will be some extra content around this episode too. So if you'd like to support the show, 
then go to patreon.com slash twilight zone podcast so what is that very special episode let's go over to rod serling to find out and now mr serling on the twilight zone next comes more exciting work from the typewriter of richard matheson our show is called nightmare at twenty thousand feet william shatner and christine white share performing honors in an aircraft but it's the kind of flight none of us have ever experienced and i might add i hope none of us ever will Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Next time out on The Twilight Zone. (laughs) ¶¶ 